Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business, presented by FL Montreal. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Ernie Furt of FL Today, filling in for Michael Newton. Ernie, hello, welcome back. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here. How is uh, the beginning of your summer so far? So far, so good. Been working in the backyard a little bit, trying to organize the plants and the trees and everything and making sure everything looks nice and cleaning the pool and doing all the, uh, the household chores that I'm accustomed to during the summertime. Indeed, time to organize and plant and, and also build. We'll be talking about building on the program today, talking about construction and Montreal's booming construction business with Broccolini, uh, a name that's familiar to, to a lot of Montrealers. We see it around town all the time. Anthony Broccolini joins us, the COO, and they've been at it for a good 60 years at least. So that'll be a very interesting conversation coming up. And we'll also talk later on the program about non-resident real estate and a new federal tax um, on uh, underused real estate property. So that uh, that will be coming up later in the program with our expert, Julie Cote. But first, Ernie, as usual, some news and notes. Uh, let's start with, with this story from entrepreneur.com. Four ways market leaders use innovation to foster business growth. So first of all, what is your definition of innovation? Because it's become something of a buzzword, but how do you define it? just to do something different for your own business because innovation for you may not be innovation for somebody else. Uh, you want to change your business. So you have to innovate and you have, and, and you have to create new things in order to push your business forward. So some of what they suggest, number one of four here is look before you leap. Looking before you leap is, you know, you don't, you don't want to rush into things. You want to make sure you survey what's going on around you, make sure you're doing the right thing. And then you can go forward. Don't go forward before you're ready. Not a good idea. Create a roadmap and play the long game. A lot of people are in, in things for a quick hit and a quick hit doesn't necessarily lead to long-term success. You know, building something over the course of time, like 60, 70 years, like the Broccolini family has done, that's what you have to do. And that's a great thing. And we have done that here at Fuller Landa. Uh, speaking of number three is build an exceptional network. That's another thing that the Broccolinis have done. And this is another thing that we've done. You build a network, you build your contacts, you make sure that, that, that you're out there, that people know who you are. You do your charitable work, you do everything that you can in order to, for your name, your brand to have a recognition. And lastly, decisiveness. A lot of businesses are mired in analysis paralysis. They sit there, they analyze forever and they make no decisions. Even if you make the wrong decisions, at least you're making decisions and you're trying to move something forward. You learn from your mistakes. It's important. All right, that was a great lightning round, Ernie. Um, appreciate that. <laughs> let's let's move on. I really like this piece in um, Les Affaires. It's by Jean-François Berthollet. And he writes about the explosion in offices, especially per, during the pandemic, of excessive collaboration. Um, that I find was a bit of, of a productive, uh, sorry, provocative argument about productivity. You know, we have a tendency now being at home and not necessarily at the office that we want to make sure that we work together and get things done and move everything forward. But, you know, sometimes we just over email, we over Zoom, we over Teams, whatever we do, we have meetings that are too long and we have people that shouldn't be present, uh, other people that should be but are not. You, you know, you're, you're afraid to exclude somebody. 
Um, you know, and, and you have to figure out when people should and should not attend these meetings because sometimes somebody should be there at the beginning, but not necessarily at the end. And sometimes you need somebody at the end to tie everything together. So, you know, it, it, it's like an overuse of technology to a certain extent, too, because, you know, it's just because the, uh, the, the there's a door that's a handicapped door that you can press a button to open doesn't mean you can uh, you, you're looking for, to open the door. Well, you know what? There's a door handle, too. You can use the door handle and do it the old style. Uh, you know, some people just look for that new technology and they must use that new technology or else it won't work. Not true. And sometimes the new technology can increase your uh, the amount of time you're you're wasting on a task. I don't I don't want to talk about Slack again because I know people there are a lot of Slack fans um, in our community here. But uh, but I, I, Slack can waste your time sometimes. A lot of things can waste your time. You just have to be productive and choose and choose the time wasters that you wanna you wanna use. As long as they're partially productive, listen, you need downtime too. You know, people overschedule meetings back to back to back to back. You're burnt out by the third meeting. And you don't need that. You know what? You need 15 minutes to, to go get a coffee, uh, talk to your wife, talk to your kids, look outside at the birds, do something, and then get back. And then you're fresh again, and you can go for another hour. It's become kind of a cliche, and I see most people do this in meetings. But at the end, um, what the experts recommend, and this is in line with neuroscience, is to always have an actionable at the end of your meeting. And if you can't write something down, you know, um, a follow-up action, then something went wrong in that meeting. I would, I would agree. Meetings have to have a purpose at the end of the day. If they have no purpose, uh, then it's a social gathering. That has a purpose, at least. Well said. All right. Uh, another provocative article here from entrepreneur.com is selling on Amazon still a profitable business. Um, that is interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll throw in the, the Montreal competitor Shopify into the mix. Um, they're really decentralizing the system um, of online shopping and, and giving Amazon a run for their money. Selling online is a necessary evil. Uh, today, people don't want to necessarily go out in shopping centers. They don't want that. They, 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 during the pandemic, they're not interested to go running around in stores. They want to have their choice. They'll look on Amazon. Oh my God, there's a million web pages that sell the same thing. So fantastic. I got to look at it. And now I got to differentiate that stuff and figure out what it is that I really want to buy. So selling on Amazon or selling on any of these platforms is, a, is an excellent thing, but you have to know what you're doing and you have to have a proper consultant at that entity that will help you to design what you need. You don't want over information on there. You want to have enough information that people understand your product. They want to know where to get it. How, you know, what does it cost? When can I return it? If I can return it and what other people say about it. Yeah. And, and minimize hopefully the returns because that communication process in advance would minimize that. I mean, uh, we just got something. My my partner paid $250 for a pair of scuffed up sandals and now I have to return it and waste more boxes and it can get wasteful. It's wasteful. And sometimes there's return fees too, which are hidden in deep, dark reaches in a small font that nobody can read. Okay. Lastly, we wanted to talk a little bit about podcasting. Um, this from entrepreneur.com as well. Three revenue increasing reasons why you should use a podcast in your content marketing strategy. First, um, I'll, I'll answer the question myself because I'm not sure it's the best revenue model, but first just on podcasting, Ernie, do you listen to any? I don't listen to very many. I've listened to a few. I've done a couple. Uh, it's a great way of getting your message across. Um, you can go quickly in a podcast. It's not, it's not written. And afterwards, 
you can basically dovetail that podcast into written material, into blogs, into whatever. And, and, and people have a tendency to look at it. You know, if they want to have information about the product in a 30 second of uh, a 30 second, you know, split, you can get that information while you're going to sit there reading that information, which you shouldn't be doing in your car. So if you're listening to a podcast, that's great. You can listen to the podcast in your car without any interruption. And then, and then you know what it is that they're talking about, as opposed to sitting there on your computer and reading that. And just a reminder that this is also a podcast. You can listen to iTunes, uh, Today's Entrepreneur, the iHeartRadio version. Uh, it's on all the major platforms. So you can subscribe there if you like. And, uh, and I agree, Ernie. I think the great part about podcasting is the fact that you get long-form conversations and you get to kind of nerd out a little bit um, with, with people that are really, really uh, experts in their field. And that's what we've been doing for a long time here on Today's Entrepreneur. And we'll do that next in the construction industry in Montreal, Broccolini. Uh, is the company. Anthony Broccolini is the entrepreneur. Anthony, welcome to Today's Entrepreneur. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Thanks. So first, the easiest question for those that don't know, what is Broccolini? So Broccolini is a, a family business. I'm, I'm a third generation in the business and we are a builder and developer uh, operating in in, uh, in the Quebec and Ontario markets. Uh, we build and develop a number of different types of, of real estate projects and construction projects do a lot of industrial, do a lot of office and high rise residential. I noticed I, I'm, I'm a West Islander. And for, for years, every time a new building goes up, I see a broccolini sign. Now, one thing that I noticed is that you guys purchased some strategically located land. I believe the strategically located land was effectively from sources all the way out to, 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 to I don't know where. Uh, it goes far west, and that's that was amazing. And I always said that is amazing. And, and how did you do that? And how did they think about this initially? Yeah, so you know what? It's uh, you know we have a long history. Uh, my 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 grandfather started the, started the business in 1949. He was a home builder, uh, built a lot in in Montreal West, La Prairie, and and his career was was you know a home builder. And his four boys came into the business in, in, uh, in the early 80s and uh, shifted towards more commercial and industrial. And, uh, you know, during that time, did a lot of different, you know, contracts for, for third party clients and, and uh, you know, became successful at it. And uh, at one point, you know, had, had, some, had some, some excess funds and, and, uh, and bought our first piece of, of land, a, a big track of land in, in Baderfe. And um, that's really where, you know, we sort of really started focusing on, on design build and, and, and turnkey solutions for our clients where, you know, we own the land, we control the land and, and, and we were able to put together, you know, quick turnkey solutions for clients so that we can get them into their buildings quicker, you know, go through the entitlement processes with the cities and, and, and whatnot. And, and um, you know, so it, that, that was, you know, it, that was sort of late 90s early 2000 where, where where that started to happen where the company shifted from you know being just a general contractor to becoming more and more a real estate developer and uh that, that's sort of where the business started to shift and 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 uh you know more morph into you know into more of who we are today and and um 
you know, so at, at, at the heart of what we do, we're, we're builders. Um, but certainly we've, we've, we've added on that, that, that development expertise where, you know, we're able to have vision to see where, you know, trends are going, where industries are going, where the economy is going and, and, uh, you know, certainly able to, to acquire, you know, the right tracts of land, uh, you know, to have that future forecast of where, you know, where, where, where the city is going to continue to get built out towards. Uh, it's very interesting because, you know, building out, uh, you know, off of Highway 40, you've been doing that for years. Um, when Ontario built Highway 407, all of a sudden there was nothing next to Highway 407. But I'm sure guys like you purchased land uh, around Highway 407 and effectively used the adage, uh, you know, uh, I, I, if I build it, they will come. And that's effectively what you guys did. I don't know if you did anything with respect to Highway 30 when they when they built that here. Did you guys purchase any tracts of land around Highway 30? Uh, we've done some projects around there. We just uh, finished building a distribution center for for IKEA out there. So uh, definitely, you know, any 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 major arteries are always uh, you know are always well positioned. Certainly from you know from industrial perspective, from a commercial perspective. So uh, you know every market segment's a little bit different, and and uh, you know certainly today. You know, lots and lots of industrial going on, and and uh, you know, we're we're definitely, I I think, one of the best placed industrial players in in the marketplace, and and uh, so you know, we have we have large tracts of industrial land, and and continue to do a lot of, uh, you know, industrial you know construction along those those you know major arteries. Can you give us a sense of what the commercial real estate business has been like this year, especially um, as you know, at the, at the tail end of the pandemic? Uh, it seems like a lot of Properties are moving, and a lot is going on. It's uh, it, it, it's it's been very interesting, and I think you know, pre-pandemic, Montreal was was uh, you know, in in certainly in 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 my life, uh, you know, seeing the economy the, the strongest that it's ever been. Um, you know, certainly the the pandemic has had some impacts, but uh, I, I really don't think that it's it's slowed it down. I, I think obviously every market segment's been a little bit different. Um, you know, certainly retail has has you know has has had uh, has had its set of challenges. Uh, office, I think office is you know we're, we're you know I, I think the entire world is going to be writing that chapter together uh, in terms of you know work from home, hybrid work, and and you know we're going to see how that's going to play itself out over the next you know two years but there really hasn't been you know any major movement there yet um certainly you know the the, the two you know very very active active markets right now that, that that have been you know really hot is uh you know obviously the 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 industrial market uh that that has really you know it, it it's always been good in montreal or maybe not all, all, always, but it, it's, you know, pre-pandemic, it was good, but now it's, you know, it's, it's definitely spiked uh, quite a bit and, and uh, lots and lots of activity there. And then same thing on, on, on the residential side, uh, the residential market in, in Montreal has been, um, you know, has, has been very strong for the last number of years. Uh, the demand has been very, very high and, and uh, you know, there's not too, too much supply on the market. So it's, uh, you know, as we've been seeing, I mean, you know, price pricing across, you know, all, all of those sectors have been, uh, you know, have been climbing and, and uh, I would definitely say a, a very healthy market right now. Skyrocketing, not climbing. <laughs> I want to I go back for a second to, to, to the office space sector. Now, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was thinking, okay, a lot of people are going to start working from home. It's going to be hybrid. So as soon as people's leases are going to be up, they're going to look to 
get smaller space. That's one school of thought. Now there's another school of thought out there that's basically saying, okay, when people are coming back to work, we need more space so we can socially distance people. Okay, so there's two schools of thought. Where do you sit? We've had a lot, a lot of discussions around this. I mean, we have, uh, you know, we, we, we have a, a, a nice sized portfolio of, of, of real estate. So we have a lot of tenants in, in you know, in, in, uh, in our buildings and, and uh, a lot of discussions. Um, there used to be this and, and, and very apropos for, uh, you know, for, 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 for hockey fans. But, you know, growing up, I used to love the Molson commercial. The more, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Right. And, and there's no question that uh, things have changed. The notion of, of you know, remote working, remote working from home, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, was a certain small percentage of the population that, you know, sort of adopted it and, and was, you know, working with it and experimenting with it. The entire world now has proved that it works. Right. And, and, and obviously there's different spectrums of it. Um, you know, but humans are, are, are social creatures. We want to be together. And, and uh, you know, so I think right now everybody is talking about, you know, hybrid environment because obviously there, there's, you know, there's pros and cons to working from home. Um, you know, so right, right now, certainly the trend is it's going to be, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, sort of the, the, these hybrid, you know, structures and formats. Um, but also at the same time, I also think that, you know, at the end of the day, once, you know, people get comfortable to go back, I, I think it's going to be a switch that just like that gets turned back on and, and, and uh, there's going to be a lot of companies that are going to be back in full force and, and, you know, and possibly not working from home at all uh, while there's others that are going to adopt that hybrid model. So I think, you know, like I said, I think it's going to, this is going to be a, 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 an experiment for the world. And, and uh, I, I think, you know, vis-a-vis, you know, office space, you're going to have companies that are, that are, you know, sort of in between, right. Where they're doing, you know exactly what uh, what they were doing pre pre uh, pre pandemic, and some are going to alter and change and 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 make adjustments. So I think it's going to be interesting times uh, ahead, and I think it's going to take probably a couple of years to see how it all works itself out. And uh, Anthony, I, I I was wondering on the political front. I don't want to get too intense on that uh, on that level for this program, but. What is, what is Montreal like as a partner, as a building partner? Do you have um, a lot of cooperation with the city or with regional governments here? Um, and do you find that, uh, that we're taking advantage of the, of the boom that's happening in construction right now? You know, many different municipalities in, in, uh, in, in Montreal, right? And, and we work in many. So I think every municipality is a little bit different. Um, I, I think as far as, uh, you know, we, we pride ourselves on, on it, it's a relationship business, right? And, and the community that we work in, it's a village. Um, and so every city is a little bit different, but I think uh, ultimately you got to work closely and you got to find, you know, what, what, what works best for, for every, every place that you're working, right? And, you know, when working, you know, downtown Montreal as, as, as an example, and I think we take this, you know, we take this viewpoint with wherever we're working, but you know, taking it specifically with, you know, maybe a downtown tower in, in the center of the city. And, and we really need to work in terms of, you know, what, what, what belongs there, right? What, 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 what is going to fit there? What's going to fit into the fabric and what's going to add, you know, to, to the, the fabric to the city. Right. And, and uh, I, I think, you know, for the, for the most part, you, you, you work with folks that, uh, that have a, a, a genuine interest in, in, in city building, doing what's right for the community. And I think as, as long as, you know, you have open-minded parties on, on both sides uh, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a relationship that, that, that goes quite well. Um, 
you know, and it's like I said, it's 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 all about the relationships because it's you know the building community is it's a big community and lots and lots of stakeholders in it, and and uh, you got to get sort of every everyone on side and everyone you know aligned with a certain vision. Uh, Ernie, I'll toss it back to you there on on relationship management, especially when it comes to the government, because uh, few industries are as tightly regulated as construction. I mean, they 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 tell you how to build poorly in many cases. Of course, tough to get around if you're an entrepreneur. It's it, and and each municipality has different regulations. And I and I was going to ask a, a more pointed question with respect to that, which is which is the most difficult municipality to deal with if you want to answer that you don't have to answer that or you can answer alternatively which one is the easiest to work with you know what i and i I won't you know specify in any specific municipality but i think you know in 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 some it's very prescribed you know exactly what it is you know and and and, you know taking taking downtown montreal as an example uh, a lot of it is very prescribed in terms of in in terms of the heights the densities the setbacks and you know, as long as long as as long as you're working within that context, it's actually very straightforward. Uh, so there's not, you know, it, it's when you want to stretch beyond that, uh, which is a whole other, you know, conversation. Because you know, we we are an island, we are growing. Uh, you know, and 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 as uh, one of my uncles likes likes to say, that the man upstairs isn't making land anymore, right? And and. Uh, you know, so I, I, I think, you know, long, long term in terms of vision for, you know, for Montreal, for the island, uh, you know, we've there, there's a lot that's been built out. There's not a lot of land that, that that's left. And, and um, I think policy going forward for the next 20, 30 years, that that's where it's going to you know continue to be interesting because, you know, there, there, there's only so much urban sprawl that can happen. Uh, so I think longer term policy is going to, you know, going to be interesting. And you, I also know that you're in Ontario as well. Ontario has different rules than Quebec and and and, and different items to deal with. How is Ontario to deal with? Similar? Um, you know what? In in some cases, in some cases, more straightforward, but longer. So definitely, you know, clear. Sometimes a little bit more detailed. Sometimes not. Um, so yeah, de- definitely, I I I, w- I would say. A little bit more straightforward, more thorough through the process, but you know, a lot longer in terms of getting getting the entitlements, right? And I think, you know, Montreal is is is, is somewhat catching up, which, you know, if I go 10, 15 years ago, you know, things would happen so, so quick and 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 uh, that entitlement process wouldn't be, you know, a major factor in, in any of your projects that you're building. Whereas today, you know, it's starting to become, you know, more and more of a factor where you know, we want to go faster and, and uh, in some cases we can't. Right. And, and uh, so I would definitely say Quebec is, is, is catching up in, in certain instances there. Are you more in Eastern Ontario or are you in the Toronto area? Where, where, where are you located there? In Ottawa, Ottawa and Toronto. Ottawa and Toronto. Uh, so we, we've been in Ottawa for about 15 years and been in, in Toronto for about 10 years now. And, and there's a lot of things going on with the green buildings and lead certification and all of that. Uh, I understand you guys are into that and you're making suggestions for uh, for your customers in that regard. You want to talk about the, the, the green buildings a little bit? Absolutely. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's something it's something that rightfully so is, is you know, becoming more and more top of mind. Uh, you know, we're fortunate we've been involved in probably over 45 to 50 lead lead projects um, you know, ranging from all kinds of different certifications. Um, I, I think in general, the, 
you know, I always like to say that the, the, the construction industry as a whole, you know, you, you, you look at comparing it to other industries, it's an industry that's pretty archaic in terms of how things have been done. Um, and I think it's, it's certainly very, you know, very much ripe for a change. Uh, so you look at how things, you know, how things were built, uh, you know, when they built Placeville Marie, you know, versus how we're building things today, there's not a tremendous amount of, of change that's happened. I think we're, we're, we're on that forefront where technology is really coming into place and, and, and there's, you know, smarter ways of putting things together. Uh, you know, when you think of, of energy modeling, I mean, obviously buildings consume, a, a, you know, a great amount of energy in terms of building them but then also operating them. And uh, so I think, you know, in, in general, we're just getting smarter, more efficient using technology. Um, but I also think in terms of our, our construction methods, you know, that's, that's where, you know, I think there, there's definitely uh, an opportunity for further change there. And, and um, it's, it's something that uh, we certainly want to be, you know, more and more on the forefront on and, and uh, it, it's going to be required. Right. And I think every, every aspect of the industry has, has to do their part right? Every aspect of the world has to do their part because, you know, we, we are, you know, on the forefront of a, a, a very, very big challenge, a challenge that I think uh, mankind doesn't fully, fully appreciate yet. We're, we're getting there, but it's going to start hitting us hard, a lot harder in the next, uh, ne ne next coming years. So we, we got to start making that change. Uh, you're, you're in the business with, uh, with family members. How many family members are in your business today? Um, so I have uh, my my dad and, and two uncles, second generation, uh, who are still actively, you know, very active in, in the business. And uh, I have five or six uh, cousins that third generation that, that that are in the business. And how do you split all the work amongst you? Uh, you know what? I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're a family business, but at the same time, uh, there's so many, you know, family members, members that I consider as family that, that don't have the broccoli last name. And, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're fortunate. We have a phenomenal group of people that are here that, uh, that we consider as family that, that have been with us for 25, 30 plus years. Um, you know, so it's, 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 a, it's a big extended family. Right. And, and, uh, so it's not, you know, we, we like to say that, you know, Broccolini is now bigger than any one of us, right? And and uh, it, it's you know it's 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 a big group, it's a big big team effort. Uh, that I think you know amongst family and non-family, it's you know it's it's just all about trust and respect and and you know being able to collaborate well together, right? And I think that's uh, you know that that's that's been a key ingredient to our success. Is you know we work really really hard. We're we're super passionate and and. Uh, and we just work well together. And uh, I, I think that's, you know, for, for any company, that's, uh, you know, important ingredients of success. Look, you've built quality relationships with your people, with your suppliers, with everybody else. You do quality work. So things are going to work the way you're supposed to because you're doing it the old way. You're working hard at it. Absolutely. And that's key. One question. What, what is the Broccolini dream project? If you were to really fantasize, are we talking, uh, is it a lead platinum skyscraper? You know, what's, what's the, the crown jewel eventually? I'll answer that in a couple of different ways. And, and uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, our, our long-term vision, our, our, our BHAG, our big, hairy, audacious goal is that we, we want to be the most sought after builder and developer in Canada. And that means that, you know, we don't we don't want to be in every province. We don't want to be the biggest volume, you know, builder and developer. But whatever we do, we want to be recognized as, as, as sort of that top, top, you know, tier brand in, in, in what we do. 
Um, you know, so in terms of that, you know, in terms of that jewel or that gem, uh, I, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're doing a couple of things. We're, we're, we're city building, we're helping build the economy. And so I don't think there's one specific, you know, building type that, that to say that this is, you know, this is it. Right. And, you know, we're super, super proud of, of, of what we're able to do. And, you know, we're, right now we're, we're incredibly fortunate, you know, for the work that we have on hand, we're building, you know, we're building the national banks, you know, new head office, uh, downtown Montreal, the biggest office building that's been built in the last, you know, 30 some odd years, uh, right next to it, we're building a, you know, a gem, a 60 story, uh, skyscraper mixed use, uh, tower Victoria Soda Palk, uh, which has about 300,000 square feet of office. You know, we're building large distribution centers. So we're, we're, we're fortunate to be involved in, in, in many different asset classes that, you know, that, 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 that just help Montreal grow. Right. And, 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 you know, whether it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, moving, helping move goods, you know, in and around our communities to housing people in office buildings to, you know, building, building up communities. Right. And uh, so I, I think, you know, it's, it's all of those things. And, you know, to me, it's whatever we're doing, we want to, you know, we want to do it really, really well and, and, and better than anyone. Anthony Broccolini, COO of Broccolini Construction, will have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. But first, it's time for our expert. And we're talking about uh, non-resident taxes and uh, a new tax on real estate. Julie Cote is the non-resident tax specialist at FL Montreal. Welcome back, Julie. Thank you for having me. And Ernie, this uh, new federal tax on uh, uh, underused real estate property, very, very, very different and something we should be aware of. Absolutely. You know, Julie, would you like to talk about that, that, that 1% tax that came out in the budget? Yes, it's actually called the 1% taxation on underused property. We've been hearing about this for years uh, from all major cities. It's actually in function right now in Toronto and Vancouver. Uh, Montreal talked about it for a while, but now in the federal budget, they announced that they will, they will act on it uh, starting 2022. Right now, we have more questions than answers, but one thing that was made clear in the budget is that Canadian citizens and permanent residents would be exempted of this 1% tax. This means that any owner that holds either a Canadian passport or a permanent resident card will not be taxed to 1% on the value of their property if it's vacant. So even if they are non-resident for tax purposes, this 1% will not apply to them. Uh, keep in mind, however, that all the tax obligations will still apply to all the non-resident if they're selling or renting their property. Uh, this tax is entirely new. So, you know, with the real estate boom, you know, uh, going on with the commercial residential, is it attracting many foreign purchasers? And what are the problems you encounter regularly? Yes, the market being hot attracts a lot of people, a lot of foreigners. And it's mostly the lack of tax research before jumping in the venture. Uh, many owners come to us after many years of ownership, sometimes renting it out for a while and looking to sell. And they're surprised and mostly frustrated to learn they missed all, all the tax requirement and must now comply with added penalties. Uh, tax, of course, consulting a tax specialist before investing will help them understand their tax obligation related to owning this property, uh, renting it out, and part of which is a part 13 of the tax law, which requires them to remit 25% on a monthly uh, basis to the Canada Revenue Agency. This always comes as a surprise. 
a lot of things are surprising to non-residents. You know, at, at the at the end of the day, you know, we've seen this this situation crop up many times where people have no clue, where people are misreporting things. They're reporting things in in the U.S. or or, or elsewhere, not reporting them at all, and everything comes to uh, to a head when they when they're gonna sell it. Uh, so that, that, you know, that, that's an important thing. So when they, you know, when they sell the property, you know, what are the things that you tell people? Well, first of all, foreign investors are almost, almost always blindsided by the section 116 tax filing, which is to require compliance certificates from the government before they can actually touch the money from their transaction. And uh, a large sum of money gets held by the notary while this is getting processed by the government. It takes months to resolve, and the waiting time can be resolved by result. I'm sorry, it can be uh, reduced by simply getting the proper information, getting help from a tax specialist, filing the request early, and um, it will ease the process. And of course, getting information. And as you said, uh, a lot of things get left out like reporting this Canadian income either from rentals or capital gain in their own country, which is maybe U.S., Canada, or anywhere else in the world. Yeah, well, we, we've, we've, seen, we've seen a lot of that, you know, that, that, that people aren't prepared the way they should be, and they don't realize that they can apply for this 116 certificate in the Quebec equivalent under Section 1097 of the law uh, in advance. And if they apply in advance and they had, and they have a, a, a purchase agreement, a signed offer, and they know what they're doing and they know what their costs are, we can do that form in advance for them and cut back on that wait time near the end. Absolutely. You know, that, that, that's very, very key with, with, the, with the non-resident real estate. They don't understand their obligations when they purchase. Uh, they're not told about their obligations when they purchase. You know, if you purchase just to have it, you know, as a pied-à-terre, that's fine, uh, you know, for now, except this 1% that you have to consider, but we have to figure out who it applies to at the end of the day. But if you're not renting it, no problem until you sell. If you rent it, then you got to talk to somebody like Julie in order to, to make sure that you're meeting your Canadian tax obligations. Because certain people don't care. And, and, and then they get into this big jackpot at the end and they have to pay all kinds of interest uh, potentially penalties on this stuff and the money that they think they're going to have to purchase that next property is tied up for a while. So that's what you don't want. Any other parting advice you want to give these people who purchase or, or, or sell real estate, Julie? Well, this will apply across the world before investing in another country. Check the tax rules, get in touch with a tax specialist in that country and listen to what they have to say and follow the rules. It, you will end up winning in the end. Julie Cote, uh, Julie Cote, non-resident tax specialist at FL. Super helpful. Thanks so much, Julie. You're welcome. A pleasure. And now, Ernie, let's uh, turn to Anthony Broccolini at the end of our program here and ask for his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. Anthony, what are your thoughts? So the, the two... Uh two words that come to mind is, is vision and passion. I think from a vision perspective, you need to, you need to look at things from a long-term perspective, understand where you want to go with whatever you may be doing. Um, 
And I think, you know, we've been fortunate from a family business perspective of having a long-term vision, right? And, and looking to build a legacy, right? And I think that's, that's always led us to the right decisions. Um, and then passion, uh, because I can, you know, can tell you and any entrepreneur would tell you that it ain't easy. <laughs> you're going to get knocked down a lot of different times, a lot of different ways, and, and you're going to be tested. You got to be persistent, persistent, persistent. And I think that, that, that passion is what can help carry you through, you know, those more challenging times. Um, so yeah, so vision, vision and passion is what I would recommend to, uh, to those entrepreneurs that are out there. I agree with that. You know, it, 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 most, most of our entrepreneurs on this show have used the word passion and passion is key to success in any business. If you are passionate about your business, chances are you're going to be successful at it. And, and patience, the long-term planning involved in this, in that business, especially is always uh, mind blowing to me. Anthony Broccolini, a uh, really interesting chat. Thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you guys. And don't forget, uh, you can head over to todaysentrepreneur.org for over a decade worth of entrepreneur profiles. And we'll be back here in a couple of weeks. Thanks so much, Ernie. That was fun. A lot of fun. Enjoyed it. Talk.